Let's take a walk through the park with Alyosha today as we break down books five through seven. Ooh. Ooh. You you had me at book five. (laughs) (laughs) Welcome to the Codex Cantina, where I am Una. And I am Grand Cryptistor. Oh. Or something like that. <laughs> oh, very nice. Well, then I'm Rubble Una, if that's the case. <laughs> Welcome to the Codex Cantina, where we like to take the most classic and respected books and break them down and have just a, a fun discussion about it. So if you Googled like books five, six, or seven, or the Grand Inquisitor and ended up here, welcome if you would like make sure you check out our before you read series that has a spoiler free talk about things that will help enrich your experience going through this book now let's walk around the park with Alyosha today right yeah let's get to the bar get to the bar (laughs) so book five in terms of summary right we have Alyosha and his baby boo talking about the letter and she's like yo that letter was real I got feelings for you Alyosha (laughs) Alyosha tries to kiss her and she's like whoa 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 Mr. Monk come on you gotta save yourself buddy (gasps) right so he returns you know in continuing our game of walking around with Alyosha we return he's like hey yo Smurjakov what's up and Smurjakov is like uh, what's up? And he's like, where's Dimitri? And Smurjak was like, what, am I my brother's keeper? Some sass. Yeah, no kidding. A little Cain and Abel reference? Goodness, <laughs> Smurjakov. Well, eventually, the, the real payoff, though, here, I don't think anyone remembers this of Book 5, because they just kind of want to get to the bar scenes with Rebellion and the Grand Inquisitor. Like, this is... Guilty. This is this is the highlight of the book for most people, are, are these, these chapters right here. Yeah, agreed. That was for me, at least. So Yvonne basically tells him about a whole bunch of terrible things, such as baby suffering, and says, how could God possibly, an all-benevolent, all-powerful God, allow these sort of things? And uh, Alyusha kind of even admits that even he would think that someone deserves to die for causing that much evil in the world, which again, Alyusha, first the kiss, and now admitting someone should die? Come on, buddy, showing the cracks in the paint here. Yeah, definitely you're seeing like a 180, you're like, wait, what? No, 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 not my boy Alyusha. Definitely some strong changes there in his personality and character that you're probably not expecting. Right. And then the Grand Inquisitor poem where basically he tells, you know, we're going through all this doubt and we're going through this poem of basically Christ's second coming, a Christ-like figure coming back to Earth. And the Grand Inquisitor, a.k.a. a Pope-like figure, locks him up and says, you know, people don't want choice. They, they want to follow me and, and, and they'll be they'll be comforted by that. And uh, the grand in, or the Christ-like figure gives the Grand Inquisitor a kiss. Yeah, we see that replicated in the story too. When Alyosha leaves the bar, he gives Ivan a kiss, right? Yeah. The other part of the book five that nobody remembers is he returns home, uh, talks with <laughs> Fyodor. There's some talk with Smerdyakov, and he agrees that he's going to be leaving for Moscow the next day when allegedly his father's about to be killed. Really, he's going to drop a man like that? No, that that's some responsibility, right, Ivan? He uh. He's such an interesting character. He's definitely self-serving sometimes and not other times. It's very complicated. I I love how this character's written, and then I get very frustrated with Dostoevsky at other times. Well, we here we are at kind of arguably some of the highlight for this book, right? The the book, you know, we've we've talked about in our book one through four chat uh, about a lot of the dominoes that are leading up to this. We made a case that a lot of what this book kind of rotates around is the problem of evil and even a little bit of the moral argument of if God does not exist, objective morals do not exist. Objective morals do exist, therefore God must exist is kind of the 101 basic way of phrasing the moral argument, right? 
Yeah, and I kind of like looking at it from this very unique perspective of this negative evil look because everybody always looks at it from more of a biblical standpoint of this positive and scripture angle and Yvonne here is kind of throwing it on its head while using that but from looking at it from a different perspective and I just this is definitely the pinnacle of the book for me. Right. Well, we have all this doubt from Dostoevsky, I think, because we talked about how he had just lost his actual son in real life, and he kind of locked himself up to do this writing. And I think he is questioning, why would God allow my son to die? My son didn't have free will. My son was innocent. And that's where he injects, not himself, but he injects these doubts into Ivan, a very passionate, strong individual that's coming in and saying, look, in terms of of if God says we must have this amount of suffering, which includes suffering babies, and, and basically what he's doing is he's pushing your face up against kind of what seems like senseless evil, right, in terms of the Turks with the baby, the little boy that got ripped apart by the dogs and stuff like that. We have our, our face as a reader smashed into what seems like senseless evil. And Yvonne is making the argument of, if that's what it takes to get into heaven, I return my ticket, right? I don't think it's worth this amount of suffering for the greater good of eternal life, basically. I don't see the design in that is one thing that he's saying. Yeah, when I was reading this, I kind of thought about it as if if Dostoevsky was sitting there writing it, typing it out, that he had... You know, so in cartoon stuff, there's the little, you know, uh, red devil and then the little angel on the, mm-hmm. the, the each side of the shoulder, right? And mm-hmm. I kind of imagine that one of those was Alyusha and one was Yvonne, and they're both kind of whispering as he's writing this story, both kind of mm-hmm. giving their back and forth and perspective mm-hmm. of it, of, you know, well, this is why it's good, you know, and th- you have to have faith, and then this is why it's bad, and this, you know, why would God allow this suffering? And I really felt like Dostoevsky was he was struggling with his own, am I a proponent or an opponent of religion because his faith is being questioned with the loss of his child, which I can only imagine. I love, I love that, that view because I think it's so true how tortured he must have been at this time. And, and I think he also sees the country of Russia tortured as well. Well, I guess before we get to that, one last thing I want to say in terms of a, a way of positioning, you know, Yvonne's atheistic view is he's viewing this whole time, you'll notice even in book three, remember he had that talk about, well, religion, I think, does humanity good, right? Because if if there was no religion, everything's fair game, and they'd come for your money is what he told Fyodor in book three. In here, he's talking about how people will give up, I think, their own free will, their own terror of of stepping out into the world for comfort. And I think he's making an argument from a character perspective that that's what religion can provide for some people is comfort. No, I definitely agree. I think that what he's saying is that if you give up that free will, then you aren't responsible any longer for things that you commit wrong in your life. And then you can go to church and ask for forgiveness, and then you'll be okay and you'll still be admitted to heaven. Well, arguably, I would even say, calling back to even the previous section, we have all these references to the the Karamazovs being vipers, to being insects, who aren't governed by a, a, I don't know if I want to say a a god morality or a universal morality. They have no morality, right? They're animals, like we talked about this in the previous section. 
And he's basically saying the only thing that gives us comfort in this is by putting on man's creation of God. He, he thinks man created God to give himself comfort in these situations. But like, I think, and, and the reason I make that distinction is because I think in your view, that's a very, it's almost like a theo that this is assuming that Yvonne has accepted theism as true. Right. And if we, oh, definitely. He, yeah. and we, if we assume that he does not accept theism as being true, then he would accept that this is just the lie or the facade that we put on ourselves. Yeah, when you're reading through this, it's going to be a lot of, I think, your own personal beliefs, and that that's going to dictate how you will interpret the Grand Inquisitor chapter, because if you don't subscribe to a philosophy or, or theism of some sort, specifically Catholicism or even, you know, Orthodox Christianity— your viewpoint is going to be very, very different, and you might look at it from Yvonne's angle instead of Alyosha's angle. And that, and 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 if you're questioning your own faith, you're going to be kind of you know ping ponging back and forth here. It's going to be very, very confusing, and you have to realize that I think that that's what he's going for here. Is it could, that's one of the biggest questions in life is why is there suffering? Yeah. Well, and then and we get no you... answer, right? I mean, that that's ultimately at the end is we get no answer, at least at the end of these chapters. Well, and then arguably, too, I think you started to bring up the Catholicism versus, you know, orthodoxy, which is an interesting thing to bring up here, too, because that's also quite the head spinner. Because if we accept that there is a God morality, a perfect morality out there, that this is the definition of what love is, these are our commands to follow it, well— all of a sudden, how is it on earth we have different religions? How is there an orthodoxy, and how is there a Catholicism? Why was there a 1054 split, and why is there such debate over the palpal claims or the filioque, you know, things of that nature? I couldn't help but bring those in at this point in time, too, that I, I felt like Dostoevsky was clearly writing to both socialism and Catholicism in this part with the Grand Inquisitor. Yeah, and I think that this is where Alyusha is trying to tell his brother, be like, look, you're you're right. And he's not necessarily questioning. And I know a lot of times we say that he's cracking or, you know, he, he's showing weakness or whatever. But I don't think he is. I think he's just acknowledging his brother and saying, yeah, you're right. But that's because man did that. If you take it from the belief of having faith, you know, in an all-benevolent God, then you don't question those things because we don't know God's design from that perspective. And you may agree with that. You may disagree with that. Right, right. The, 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 the counter-argument, like you said, is we aren't perfect, so we don't agree. That's why we have these different religions. There might be one scripture, one universal truth in a theism standpoint, but we aren't able to interpret that or understand his design perfectly is the counter argument, right? Yeah. And to be like, to think of this like in comics terms, right? Is there's like the multiverse, but there are certain <laughs> truths in the multiverse that never change, right? There mm -hmm. are certain mutants that are always, or certain characters that are always in the multiverse and never, ever, ever change. It's kind of the same thing here where there is the scripture, the, the Bible, the word of God, and that never changes, but all the people's interpretations of it, that's what changes and ultimately messes things up. Right, right. Now, one thing that I would say is a universal truth uh, in this multiverse, sorry, <laughs> negative points. For that's that funny. Joke, right? so that's good. One of the things that I think most of us can agree on is that rebellion is a, a lot about doubt, right? 
to Agreed. me, one of the main things to take away from in this head spinner of a chapter of, of the Grand Inquisitor is, is free will and choice. Because that's what the, the Grand Inquisitor, who I think is meant to be kind of a, a rip on the palpable claims, right? He's the new master who is heaven, who is, who's not, who is not of heaven, is supposed to be imbued with, with, with powers, right? But he's still man, and he's still liable to make these mistakes that the rest of us are, but we're supposed to submit to them as master, is the orthodox, I think, criticism of the palpable claims, right? Agreed. And what the Grand Inquisitor is representing from a literature standpoint here, we have references in this section to the three questions in the wilderness, right? The temptations of Christ, where the devil tempted him three different times, and basically Jesus turned him down or didn't submit to it because he was basically proving, uh, you know, the, the concept of free will, of choice. It's one of the gifts that we have uh, from, from mankind's perspective, and that's going to tie into Dostoevsky's rebuttal of of doubt is that sometimes you just have to have faith. You won't have these abilities to understand it with, with man's logic, like Yvonne's trying to do. And there just isn't going to be an answer. Yeah. I also think that we can tie in here as well, that this idea of when he is writing, and I know a lot of people bring up the point of that, you know, that these Russian stories are so bleak and dreary. And, you know, these are like the questions for the ages. But you have to remember that Russia during this time is, is, is questioning its own faith as a society as well, as we see these grassroots movements of religion altering and changing the, the society and changing politics. He's taking all of that in as he's writing this story as well. So you have so much coming at Dostoevsky culturally, socially, religiously, personally, and he's just making this beautiful masterpiece, I think, in this, these five, six, and seven books of, of uh, Brothers Karamazov. It's actually very, very incredible that he's able to weave all of these stories and feelings together. And that's, I think, what, what, it, what we're seeing here uh, through these parables of, of Scripture and Christ. Because the people are kind of trying to make these choice about socialism and atheism as opposed to orthodoxy, right? And uh, this is completely unscientific, but a small side note. Have you ever heard of like this jobs to be done like methodology before? No, I haven't. It's really interesting where he, the, the theory is people hire and fire things in their lives to make their lives better, right? I, I was thirsty, so I hire the job of um, soda or water or something like that to quench my thirst, right? Until okay. you find something else that does the job better. Now, again, this is not scientific. It's just kind of one of those those interesting theories that kind of like has some truth in it, but we're not exactly sure how to define it, right? But they, they were, there's one example where they, I think, if I remember correctly, they were comparing the purpose of church and CrossFit, like exercise, as competing. Okay, that uh, I guess you could compare any two things, you know, oil well, and water. <laughs> yeah, well, well you know, water into wine, right? Uh, but <laughs> well, that's, that's chapter seven, that's book seven, right? But um, yeah, one of yeah. the we're not there yet. One of the things that it talks about is that you know, particularly when it came to parents and moms and 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 people who had young children, they were looking for community. They were looking for a place to belong, to share values in, and sometimes that they couldn't fully receive some of that at the church. Oddly enough, CrossFit was a place where they could get those team classes or they could, you know, put their kid in like the daycares that a lot of the gyms have nowadays. But it found that people were in this methodology were firing Christ and hiring the barbell <laughs> to fulfill the needs that they have in life. And that's what Russia, to your point, is going through, 
right? They're looking at, we're not happy. We're dissatisfied. We have a lower quality of living index compared to the rest of the world. We want to change, right? And, and who are they going to fire and who are they going to hire is kind of one of the decisions that they're going through in a very non-scientific way, right? No, I mean, that totally makes sense that you're going to try to find comfort through that suffering. And it comes back to that again is that, uh, and we, we've seen that in many movies and stories that we define ourselves through suffering. And that's kind of, a, I know, a very pessimistic, you know, humanistic way of looking things. But um, uh, who's that? Voltaire, I think, that that we define ourselves through our suffering. And, and when you're going through the loss of a child, you're going to do that. And you're going to try to latch on to anything that makes you feel better. And if it's CrossFit, then more power to you, I think was what Dostoevsky through Yvonne <laughs> is saying. It's an interesting chapter. And there's a lot of different ways to break that down. Like, maybe you had a completely different interpretation and you want to compare it to something else, go with it. Like this is not a channel where we get mad if you have a different interpretation and we don't, you get should have a different interpretation, right? We, well, you we should all have, have one. We all have different experiences and hire and fire things for different purposes. Right. Yeah. You and I just share very similar backgrounds in life and religion and philosophy and education and, and things we've read and passions. So we come with a lot of the same conclusions, but that doesn't mean that your discussion couldn't be very, very different if you're talking about the exact same chapter with your friends. All right, let's let's get a little happy here and move into book six with Father's All Sleeping Dying. Wait, wait, wait. I went the wrong way. <laughs> <laughs> I see what you did there. Darn no, it, wait Russia. Th- <laughs> but no, we do have a lot of faith and positivity in this chapter. We get kind of his backstory about how Father Zosimo was in the army. He ha- had a hot-headed atheist brother. Maybe that's why he identifies with Alyosha a little bit, just saying. But, uh, you know, he took his aggression out on the serfs. And when a serf hit back, and along with this time with what was going on with his brother, is when I think he kind of had his awakening of what does forgiveness and love mean in his life. It's kind of his his moment of truth that he's facing. And then one day, years ago, a mysterious man comes to visit him, and he admits that he had murdered someone, the mysterious man. Um, He married a woman who didn't even return his feelings, and the serfs were blamed in his place. Sounds a little bit like Dostoevsky's life, interestingly enough. And the man was arrested and died before his trial. But um, basically, we read from his diaries and see all of his deeds throughout life. Did you like book six? I I, I felt it was very jarring. As a first-time reader going through this, I I felt like it kind of came out of left field for me. I enjoyed it, don't get me wrong, and I think it's crucial to the story to understanding more about the brothers and their growth, especially Alyusha later in the story. Uh, But it it kind of hits you from nowhere, right? You know— Yes, it's jarring in the sense that book five is a lot about doubt. And like we talked about earlier, book six is going to be about faith, right? Belief. And that is that was not apparent to me because in the beginning, I'm like, okay, I feel like we're starting to besmirch Zosima's name, right? Because he's kind of like exalted as this holy one and and some of the things don't translate well that we'll get into here with book seven. But I'm like, is this Dostoevsky putting cracks in, in Zosima's paint? But I didn't realize that he's meant to be kind of the foil for the Grand Inquisitor, I felt like. So if the Grand Inquisitor is about imprisoning the innocent, right? Like all these people, they'll, they'll believe in me, I'll give them comfort, but we know we're all going to die. Zosima was about forgiving the criminals, Right, which is more along the lines of what Jesus' life was, right? Like, he didn't hang out with the rich. He didn't hang out with the wealthy. He was hanging out with 
you know, the murderers, the people that needed him, the people that needed love. And that's what Zosima's life came to be was this, this picture or a mirror of, of Jesus's life of, of active love in a sense. And to your point, that was jarring. And I didn't figure that out probably until closer to the end of the chapter, I want to say. Okay. Well, that, that makes me feel better that I wasn't the only one. And do you think it got better as you've read this several times now? Like, does it feel like it fits better, this narrative of kind of, you know, directly speaking to us about needing this information for the journey of the brothers? You know, honestly, the first time I read it was, what, 15 years ago, maybe 20. I, I don't remember it the best. I, I read it in a totally different state than I am now in terms of, of my religious path in life. But what I recalled, of course, was The Grand Inquisitor. I feel bad for any book next to The Grand Inquisitor because you kind of forget what happens in those books. <laughs> yeah, and but I feel like, too, is this one feels not as important as overall as its ideals of trying to talk about the main purpose of, of life. But for the book itself, six might be more important because this is the first time that Dostoevsky is really kind of directly talking to us. He's giving us this explanation for Alyusha's journey because he's sort of the hero of the story at this point in time, especially after you just read book five. And as, as to your point, I think that sometimes book six doesn't get the, you know, it doesn't get the notoriety that it deserves. You know, what you said was really interesting there, because I, I think you said something along the lines of Dostoevsky giving us like the answer or commands or something like that. There's so a very very old argument is is comes from you know Platonic Pluto and his, his his take on forms, where he basically said you know there probably is a perfect form of love you know and all these other things of morality, but we don't know what it is. We just kind of have like these steps down into things in the same way that the best way I've heard it described is that when you know, a guy, a mason's going to work on a piece of stone. He doesn't just carve it from scratch, right? First, he works out a wood interpretation, and then that he looks at the wood thing, and then that's how he interprets into the stone thing. And it's that form that you're copying from into your life for how you want to behave. That's the argument for morals. There's a perfect moral out there, and we're trying to copy and replicate that into our lives. But he didn't think God had to give that to us. And that's part of, I think, a lot of theists counter arguments to that of okay let's say let's pretend that there is a universal morality there's a perfect morality of this is always good this is always bad this is love this is hate you know evil whatever you want to call it the problem is is if you don't in in their view okay the problem is if you don't have god saying you must follow this or someone saying you must ascribe to this in the case of laws it's by being a citizen you agree to follow these laws right by being in a religion, whether it be Christianity or following Islam, you know, whatever your religion that you ascribe to, you're agreeing to follow these commandments in a sense. If there really was a, a universal morality out there that's always true, there's no duty to it is the counter argument until you ascribe to it. So that can't be correct is one of the arguments that's being made. What I like about what you said, too, is in this book, Dostoevsky is giving us, you know, his commandments of this is what it means to have faith, this is what it means to love, and this is what it means to actively try to do good in life, even though this life is suffering and has evil in it. Yeah. I also felt that maybe this was the passing of the torch to Alyosha. And we, we see this pairing throughout that they're, they're, you know, each 
each brother kind of has its own doppelganger, so to speak, inside of the story. And I feel like mm. Zasama is is Alyusha's, right? And that he is a version of him and that Alyusha should aspire to be like him, that perfect ideal of morals that doesn't necessarily need to be grounded in, in a god. Or does he? And that's what he's questioning. That's a good point. That's a good point because Alyusha admits in the previous book that if this person does all this evil, does he deserve to die? And he says, yes. And at the same point when, you know, they're talking about the kissing, like we see some cracks and, uh, is, and I think it's in this section too, where he's offered sausage during Lent, which he can't have and he accepts it. So we see that he is aspiring to be better, in a sense, too. Dostoevsky is creating that room for growth for Alyosha, that even though he is a very good character, we can still cheer for him when he becomes even better. Now, a small little tip that I want to give some readers, actually a kind of little fun tip, <laughs> is I would say that you should be paying attention to when the word left and when, well, I guess the video slipped, when the word left and when the video and when the word right is used in this story. Did you notice that at all? Uh, I wasn't heavily paying attention to it, no. So we have some moments here with Liagavi. I'm, I'm not 100% sure I'm pronouncing that correctly. <laughs> You're not. <laughs> but he's, he strokes his uh, red, ugly, thin little beard with his left hand. Mm. Okay. So when the serf was blamed as the murderer for that mysterious visitor was Zosima in this section in, in chapter two, he's innocent and his right hand is stained with blood. Okay. Okay. I'm going to point out that Dostoevsky, skip ahead 30 seconds if you don't want to know this little fun tip, is going to use the word left and right very interestingly in this novel to represent specific things where left always means something and right always means something. So I just want to put out that fun little tip. It's not going to spoil anything, but I think it is a fun little thing to kind of follow along with as he's going to lay it on pretty thick over the next few books. Now, is he doing this stealing from other cultures? Because in a lot of different cultures, left and right hands mean certain things. Or, you know, if you're a thief, you get hand chopped off. In other cultures, you're not allowed to eat with your certain hand or you have to eat with a specific hand. There's a lot of nuances he could be using here. We'll have to ask uh, Christy that in the next live stream because she'll have read his biography and I have not. Oh, <laughs> man, leaving me hanging. Okay, well, I, I like that. <laughs> so I'll explore it with you as we go through these next few books here. Awesome. But I just want to point that out for readers. It's a fun one. Now, book seven, summary, okay? Father Zosima's body is stinky. <laughs> <laughs> Clean it and up. And they won't wash it. They won't wash it per the ritual. So Rakitin returns, and this is where we were just talking about how he offers sausage to Alyosha, and he accepts it. Oh, my gosh, during Lent, how could you? <sighs> Terrible boy. Right. So they go to Grushenka's house, and Grushenka's, like, all excited until she realizes that who she was waiting for, well, it wasn't Alyosha. We'll know that, right? <laughs> yeah. that She's expecting a, quote, a certain golden message. Yeah. She's a very interesting character, and I think that, we, we see her, uh, you know, written kind of poorly, maybe in certain aspects, but uh, I, I love the triangle aspect of it. And I think that they all kind of get their due diligence of, of acting inappropriately. And she tells us the parable of the onion, which is basically a woman dies, she had a pretty bad life, 
is told that in order to be redeemed, you know, hey, what'd you do that was good? And she's like, well, I gave an onion to a beggar once. <laughs> so she's given an opportunity to be saved from from hell, basically, by being pulled up by an, you know, by, from a, by an angel through this onion. And she's getting pulled up. And then all of a sudden, all these other people start to hang on to her. And she starts kicking them off. And it's my onion, not yours type of deal. <laughs> she she doesn't get pulled out, basically, right? Which I think is, again, very open to interpretation. But Grushenka kind of says, yeah, I'm a stinky onion, too, right? And uh, says, you know, I paid Rakitin to get you here. And she was getting all lovey-dovey, trying to seduce him, sitting on his lap. And you know, good old Alexi, he at least for once, doesn't succumb to the, the evils being presented to him now. I think the Onion scene is hilarious, by the way. Uh, some good comedy gold in here as well. Because we hadn't had any in a while. I mean, we went through a little bit of funniness, you know, for the first few chapters. And then we got hit over the head with five and six. Uh, you know, some deep philosophical, religious themes there, asking big questions of life. And then you get a little bit more comedy to kind of break this up. And I know a lot of people go through, you know, the the parables and the religious aspects of, of the onion and everything. And I think that that's a great way of looking at it. But I think you could just look at it that characters are complex and that sometimes we think what what we think is something that is very redeeming might not necessarily be so. And that other care, you know, other people that think something is, you know, disgusting or smells terrible like onion is delicious to them. So I think it's just something subtle that he's doing in there. And again, obviously the, the, the religious stuff is there because it's Dostoevsky and this whole book is littered with that. But I think you don't have to sometimes take, you, you can take him literally sometimes as well as figuratively. I wonder too. Okay, so let's do the figurative route. You know how I am. (laughs) (laughs) Do you think, you know, earlier in the book one through four chat, we talked about how Fyodor was trying to take on the sins of others, the holy fool, right? Yep. And it's the idea that he was almost trying to save others, kind of in a sense. And here, this woman's being pulled out by the onion, and she has a choice. And what does she do? She tries to kick the other people off. No, this is my onion, right? So is this kind of also maybe even a subtle nod to you can't save others, you can only save yourself in a sense, and you have to have your own goodness. Your own goodness is what will be what what does save you is probably maybe a commentary there too. Oh, but let's take it one step further that you have to, you, you, you give your shirt off your back, but then you have to give something further than that. You have to give, you know, your, 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 you have to give your skin, give your penance that, you know, yeah, she did this one good deed, but it doesn't stop there. You have to keep going. And if she had maybe tried to pull those other people up with her, would have that been it that allowed her to be set free? Well, that's what (laughs) happened in the movie Hercules. So that's what I'm going with. (laughs) The cartoon version. (laughs) Yes, sir. Of course. We, we kind of didn't get the last part of the, the, the wrap up there we kind of just jump straight into analysis but Alusha heads back to the monastery where the windows are open because we got a stinky zosima <laughs> you love <laughs> and, him that he um, smells bad it was hysterical to me and and basically the end of the chapter is uh he has a dream kind of waken wakens up but uh let's let's, let's jump into analysis since we're already there and one thing i would say is i don't think some of this chapter holds up as well 150 years later i know it's not totally fair but let's just let's just talk about reality of i don't think modern sensibilities associate the death and how fast you decay or stink with the evils or your the quality of life like that's not something that that has really held up that it just feels strange to kind of read about yeah i think that might be a little bit symbology of 
um, you know, the corruption of the body and the the purity of spirit and that he was a, a pure good man and that, you know, his body is the thing that's being left behind and rotting, but his goodness has left and all that's left is this tarnished husk. So may, maybe that's why he's hyper sensationalizing the, the stinkiness and the, the rotting, dying, day, horrible corpse. <laughs> Well, I I think that's also a product of its time too, right? People really did believe that there was like a contagion element to sin. And people really did believe that your quality of life would impact how fast your body decayed. Like that was actual belief at the time for some people. I don't I don't fully understand, but this is what I've read, kind of doing a little bit of research onto it. Um, but I think you and I very obviously know that we need to take this figuratively because we know scientifically <laughs> what the fact is in that regard. But I think that kind of plays into kind of what you started to go into there is that this chapter is a lot about sincerity, I feel like. You had Zosima kind of call out earlier in the chapters when all the women were outside the monastery. He's like, look, you know, you you can you can say you love someone, but do you really mean it? Because you're lying, and I see through your lies. And I think here we see what happens when you do have those lies, and you aren't being sincere, and you aren't being honest. And I think this is kind of what this chapter is going to, is what does it mean to be honest about your sincerity? Yeah, I mean, everything's falling apart, right? And he's eating the sausages and drinking. Uh, you know, his mentor has died. Uh, this, everything is kind of in chaos, and then... I think I think it pulls it off at the end where Alyusha redeems himself and he finds his faith again. Obviously, I just think it's oh so overshadowed by book five and six. So maybe we're not giving it a fair shake because it does have I think some important merits and highlights. Well, and and you mentioned okay, so it's the sincerity and rebirth kind of Alyosha. We also see that with Grushenka too, where. She's admitting that she's a stinky onion and that there's bad parts to her. And she admits that, that what she did was wrong and how she was trying to seduce him. And we're going to see a lot more of Grishenka coming up in the next few books, right? No, for sure. I mean, sh- throughout this story, you know, she's been that she's the kind of the gossip queen and she's, you know, flirtatious and uh, she's been giving off not a negative view, but definitely not a good Christian girl view, according to Alyosha. Uh, and we see her character evolving as well, as, as I kind of mentioned a few minutes ago. So I don't mean to imply that book seven's bad or anything like that. I, I think I've enjoyed all these books, but just book five is just something else for literature, something else for philosophy, something else for my mind that I can't fully wrap my head around, honestly. Yeah, we, I think we have you know a lot coming. Obviously, we hit kind of the highlight of the book, but I think we kind of slide home here into eight through ten, a lot more character development with, with the brothers coming up and uh, Grushenkov, and you know we're going to get closer to solving this you know overall arc of the murders. Uh, so that that's exciting <laughs> coming up here uh, towards the end. So stick around and uh, yeah, let us know what you think down in the comments below. Make sure you guys hit that subscribe button to join us. We'll be posting videos every Monday and Thursday. Una out. Peace.